Hi, I'm Asha Tomlinson. And I'm David Common. And we're hosts of CBC Marketplace. We're award-winning investigative journalists that want to help you avoid clever scams, unsafe products, and sketchy services. Our TV show has been Canada's top investigative consumer watchdog for more than 50 years. But this is our first podcast. CBC Marketplace podcast is available now on the CBC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC podcast. This is World Report. Good morning. I'm Kimberly Gale. We begin with the crisis in Gaza, where Israel says it's willing to stay at the negotiating table. France has been hosting the talks aimed at the release of more hostages and to reach a ceasefire of some sort in the war between Israel and Hamas. Dominic Valaitis has more. Israel had sent a delegation to meet with mediators from the US, Qatar and Egypt in Paris over the weekend. And last night, Israel's war cabinet approved the continuation of those talks, which now shift to Qatar. Securing a ceasefire and the return of Israeli hostages held in the Gaza Strip will be the focus of the discussions. According to an unnamed Egyptian official involved in mediating between Hamas and Israel, a draft deal is on the table. It would see a six-week halt in fighting, during which time hundreds of aid trucks would be allowed to enter Gaza on a daily basis. The potential agreement would also see the release of around 40 female and elderly hostages held by Hamas in exchange for up to 300 Palestinian prisoners currently detained by Israel. During the six-week period, both sides would commit to carry on talking with a view to securing the release of more hostages and ultimately aim to achieve a lasting ceasefire. Dominic Valaitis, CBC News, London. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau is in Poland after visiting Ukraine, and he's not alone. Defence Minister Bill Blair and Deputy Prime Minister Christian Freeland are travelling with Trudeau, and they met with Canadian troops involved in Operation Unifier today. That's the military training mission for Ukrainian soldiers operated by the Canadian Armed Forces. As Evan Dyer reports, it's all happening against the backdrop of escalating Russian threats. Hundreds of Ukrainians gathered yesterday in downtown Warsaw to mark the grim milestone at a time when Poland is facing threats of its own. Can you imagine a scenario where you send Russian troops to Poland? Only in one case, if Poland attacks Russia. Putin told American interviewer Tucker Carlson that Russia had no interest in war with Poland and would only respond if attacked. But Poles, whose history has left them deeply suspicious of Russian intentions, aren't convinced. Already one of NATO's highest spending members, Poland is increasing its defense budget even more to create NATO's largest European land army. While Putin may deny warlike intentions, his chief propagandist, Vladimir Soloviev, issued blood-curdling threats to Poles last week, saying that unlike Ukrainians, we will not treat them like brothers, before adding that Russia would destroy Polish cities from the air. Paul Marius Lusowski says as long as the Russian leader is in power, his country can't relax. Putin uh, is a bad man. Uh, he must die. After that will be a peace on the world. Catherine Godin is Canada's ambassador in Warsaw. The threat that Russia poses for um, Poles is very real. It's around the corner. There's also great concern here that Western Europe and North America lack the staying power to defend Ukraine 
and that if Ukraine falls, Poland could be next. Evan Dyer, CBC News, Warsaw. Ukraine, meanwhile, is providing a clearer picture of the cost of the war over the past two years. It says it has lost 31,000 troops since Russia's full-scale invasion began. Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky says that is significantly lower than estimates given by Russia. But he says he considers each one of those losses a great sacrifice. Ukraine is looking to strengthen its defenses against Moscow as it, as it enters its third year of war. The CBC's senior international correspondent Margaret Evans is in Kyiv and has more. In Kyiv, another set of world leaders come and gone. This time, the Belgian and Italian prime ministers and Canada's Justin Trudeau, who yesterday signed a security cooperation agreement with Ukraine. They leave behind a country worried that despite the promises of more aid, Ukraine still isn't getting the ammunition and military hardware it needs fast enough to turn the tide of the war in its favor. We feel only pain, only um, absence of truth and our crazy neighbor which uh, ruins our life. Like many here, Alina Rohovska believes if Western countries had acted more decisively when Russia invaded and seized Crimea in 2014, Ukraine and the world would be much safer now. We feel this because uh, we needed help uh, two years ago. We needed help 10 years ago. A recent survey by the European Council on Foreign Relations found that while most Europeans back Ukraine in its fight against Russia, only one out of ten think it can win. In Ukraine, it's led to fears that will translate into public pressure on European governments to scale back their help. Lisa Ruvakova is 22. Definitely we had more support on the start of the war and now you know, Poland and some other countries starting to, like, do some really weird stuff. The Polish government is a staunch supporter of Ukraine, but in recent weeks, farmers there have blocked Ukrainian grain trucks from entering Poland, saying tariff exemptions granted to Ukraine on food imports at the start of the war amount to unfair competition. Margaret Evans, CBC News, Kiev. Polls have opened in Belarus. The tightly controlled parliamentary and local elections are expected to cement the rule of Kremlin ally President Alexander Lukashenko. He's been in power for nearly 30 years. Pro-democracy groups have condemned the elections, pointing to Lukashenko's refusal to allow international observers to monitor the vote. They also accuse his regime of silencing opposing parties and engaging in voter intimidation. Lukashenko has confirmed his plans to run again in the country's 2025 presidential election. To the U.S. now, Donald Trump is taking another victory lap, this time in South Carolina. He beat Nikki Haley in the Republican presidential primary in her home state. Paul Hunter reports from Charleston. Thank you very much. Wow. That is really... Something. This was a little sooner than we anticipated. It was In not just winning the South Carolina primary, but in trouncing his only other serious challenger for the Republican Party nomination, Nikki Haley, and to do it here in her home state, Donald Trump is now all but ensured he will win the contest overall. I was just informed that we got double the number of votes that has ever been received in the great state of South Carolina. So 
That's pretty good. So it's a record times two. Republican voters in the state turned out in great numbers for Trump, despite his facing dozens of criminal charges, massive fines over his real estate dealings in New York, and being adjudicated as a sexual abuser. South Carolina makes it now four states in a row for the former president, though Haley insists she's staying in the race, as she put it again last night, to continue to give voters a choice. So this is a, a fantastic evening. Still, few now doubt it'll now be a rematch this fall for the White House, Trump versus U.S. President Joe Biden, a rematch polls have suggested most Americans would rather not be facing. But now, almost certainly, they will. Paul Hunter, CBC News, Charleston, South Carolina. And finally, it was another big night for Oppenheimer in Los Angeles. It added to its list of accolades at the Screen Actors Guild Awards, and that included the top prize. Steve Futterman has the story. Another week, another award show, and another win for... Oppenheimer. The film that depicts the making of the atomic bomb took home the top prize, best cast in the motion picture. And two of its stars... Killian Murphy, who portrays Oppenheimer, and Robert Downey Jr. won awards for Best Lead Male Actor and Best Supporting Male Actor. Best Female Actor went to... Lily Gladstone. Lily Gladstone has broken through barriers at previous award presentations the last few months, and she did so again last night, becoming the first Indigenous performer to win a SAG Award for her role in Killers of the Flower Moon. She began her thank yous in her native Blackfoot language, then talked about the importance of telling everyone's story. Those of you who are not actors but have a voice, have a story that needs to be heard, keep speaking your truths and uh, keep speaking up for each other. The award for Best Supporting Female Actor went to Divine Joy Randolph for her role in The Holdovers. Oppenheimer has captured virtually every major award, and it's now the overwhelming favorite to win the biggest award of all, the Oscar in two weeks. Steve Futterman for CBC News, Los Angeles. And that is World Report. For news anytime, go to cbcnews.ca. I'm Kimberly Gale. This is CBC News. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.